Oh, I can't take the Katie Hill stuff. This is the woman from California who is now just being persecuted. Now, she resigned. She didn't have to resign. She could have she could have stood up against the ethics committee and she could have said, "Hey, this isn't this isn't right." But the reason why she didn't is because she has no way to win. What uh, uh, no, she just didn't want to be a distraction for yeah, all these important sure. priorities for the uh-huh. American people, Glenn. Sure. So what what the ethics committee would have said is it's against our rules to engage in any kind of sexual relationship with an underling, a staffer in your office. Consensual or not. Right. So that's the House ethics rule that she violated. And Everyone who gets caught doing this gets the same punishment. That's not true. Donald Trump has assaulted thousands of women. Donald Trump, was he in the House of Representatives? (laughs) I don't don't think so. This is Nancy Pelosi's house, by the way. Uh, There's not, there's, you know, I got, I got news for you. If Donald, because this is one of the arguments that Katie Hill herself is throwing out there that it's, well, Donald Trump did all these terrible things. How come he didn't get in trouble? It's because he's a man. I got news for you. If Donald Trump had a picture naked brushing the hair of an underling, I it would be pretty big news. Now, <laughs> knowing Donald Trump pretty well, he would not resign. Time, he would be like, I oh, <laughs> screw you. I'm st- she's hot, and I'm staying right here. In fact, I hired four more. That I mean, that, that would be right. the way it he'd might work it. for him, but that wouldn't work for any other <laughs> no. man. Donald Trump I, just has some mojo going on for him that we honestly, no one, science will never be able to solve how he does it, but. He probably would do that, and he might get away with it. And plenty of, I mean, look at one, you know, look at one of the people uh, running against him in the Republican primary. Mark Sanford had a an incredibly promising career in the Republican Party and was caught cheating, and then thrown out of office, and then thrown out of, he wound up losing a congressional seat later on. Uh, I mean, we've had how many Republicans? Plenty of them, yeah, thrown out of office or have left office because of similar scandals. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with women, and it's nothing new. And she just happens to be the first woman. Well, listen to what she listen to her argument right now, because mm-hmm. these are the things she's tweeting mm-hmm. as she's leaving office. Okay, all right. The Katie Hill saga is the first shot in what will become a longer war. Ninety-nine percent of people her age and younger have compromising images of themselves out there floating around, and those images will be weaponized. Okay, hang on just a second. Wait. It's not the compromising image that got her to quit. It was the fact that she was violating the house rules of having sex with a staffer. And she had several, several relationships with staffers. Oh, and by the way, hashtag me too. They thought that it was toxic and abusive. Yes. And so she has, and she initially denied those. And then she had to admit some of them. Some of them she does not deny. Um, but, uh, and some of them, she still continually does deny to this day and blames it on her abusive husband. Now, I don't know who her husband is. He may be a terrible, he may be horrible. Um, and you know, it seems like he, I mean, at least reportedly, he's the one leaking these photos to uh, media sources. Uh, not something that even if you don't like your wife, I I think is a great idea. Uh, but the bottom line is she's the one breaking the rules here. Yeah, um, and it's not about the pictures. Look, if those pictures were released by a husband who was getting a divorce, uh, it, it would be bad. But who would be talking about impeachment in California? Who would be talking oh, yeah. about uh, a uh, uh, you know a 
um, an ethics charge against her. And not to mention, she's, Nobody. she's doing something uh, is, that is federally illegal, which is smoking pot in one of these things. Now, again, it's legal in California. It's legal in a lot of states now. Do I think it's a, that big of a deal? Not really. But it is still a federal crime. And it's something that we could note as a congressman. Now, it look like if you're an average Joe... Maybe you don't I have mean, to hit every single federal law. I mean, just think, but, uh, back in the 80s, it was, I smoked, but I never inhaled. Never inhaled. I yeah. never inhaled. That was now the 90s, it's like you're caught way. naked, yeah. brushing <laughs> the, the hair of an intern, <laughs> and you've got a bong in your hand. And possibly and like, a Nazi tattoo by your, by your pubic area. <laughs> right. But, uh, but don't worry about it. Okay. I don't actually believe it was a Nazi tattoo, <laughs> no, but that's besides the point. So the next one she tweets, Katie Hills tweets uh, an article from Time. Katie Hill is the first millennial lawmaker to resign because of nudes. She won't be the last. Okay, so well, that sounds like a threat. Now, um, <laughs> the second the second thing is is that's not why she resigned. Right, exactly, but that's this is her tact. Right? Correct. Her tact correct. Is, is change the narrative. Is change the narrative to uh, I'm like everybody else who's a millennial. We all have naked pictures of ourselves. There's nothing you can do in this time this story. Is like this is like I, this is like Weinstein um, <laughs> saying. Hey, we all have sex. All executives want to look, executives want, want hooking sex. up and, and, and sexually harassing uh, young hot models, and we did it all the time, and everyone knows it. Like, I mean, that's a defense, I suppose, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't change the law on right. sexual uh, harassment, and it right. doesn't change the law about underlings in Congress. The, in the Time article, though, I'm fascinated by this, and I don't know why I'm fascinated by this more than anything else, but it's, it says one 2015 study found that, like Hill... 82% of adults had sexted in the past year. That can't possibly be true, can it? If that's true, I surrender. I know. I just I quit. I'm yeah. going to the mountains today. If 82% of, of adults, adults, not just millennials, right, adults have sexted. Now, does that mean pictures? I think that it's in this context, right? I mean, maybe it just means a sexy comment or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't know. What, the, what is the technical definition of sexting? Can we figure that out? I have, I have uh, some advice for millennials. And I, as, as a, I was actually the first millennial. People don't know this. I, myself, was the first millennial. There's one study that says millennials began in 1976. And I was born on February 9th, 1976. So the people in January, screw them. I was the first millennial. So as the godfather of all millennials, let me give you some advice, millennials. The only solution to having lots of naked photos of yourself out there is to be sufficiently revolted by yourself. If you have such a horrific opinion about how you look on camera, you will never take a photo. It's never been a risk for me because I am disgusted by myself. Now, if I happen to be... I think that's healthy. I think it is too. <laughs> it's obviously saving careers right. around the country. There should be some body shaming. You should just yes, body shame yourself. You should at least body shame yourself. Right. We, That's we okay. ought to be able to look at ourselves. You know, it's, <laughs> you know who probably does this? So the people who uh, wear like, uh, you know, spandex, uh -huh. but are my weight, but about eight <laughs> inches shorter. <laughs> That's a hell of a package you're talking about. You've seen yeah. it. You've seen it. Well, that's what I mean, too. And, and this is why I'm so fascinated by this. 82% of adults includes all of the most hideous people you see when you go out. It's not just Victoria's Secret models we're talking about. 82% of adults. And you know what? Adults means what? People who are 90 
I mean, it's everybody, right? I mean, if that study, I mean, it just can't be true. Well, it, the, the definition is sexually explicit picture or se- sexually explicit uh, verbiage. Okay, so that so it could just be a, a sexual comment to someone else. Okay, I mean, Maybe. I, I still don't think 82% is possible. But this is Katie Hill's argument. Her next one is, this is a form of technological domestic violence. Oh, shut up. Then no, you, it's me too. Yeah. You were using your power over interns. This is what they said. Yeah. This they were they very uncomfortable. Was. They thought it was exploitative. They uh, were uncomfortable because they didn't know what to do. This is this is everything that you said about you know any man with power. Right, and I, she has power. They didn't know what to do. And look, I think uh, in large part that's a BS d- uh, description of what Me Too is. The idea that is you know women don't have the ability, the the agency. The, uh, the the intelligence to make their own decisions about who they want to make out with or go to bed with is a completely demeaning thing to say about women. Yeah, if you are the- if you're a tw- like Monica Lewinsky, they keep throwing her in this Me Too thing. She loved the situation. She was in love with Bill Clinton, right? She uh, to her own words, she was 23, 24 years old. She was an adult. Okay, now yes, he's the president of the United States. But she is also, he's making terrible decisions that have been covered a wide range. She also was making a bad decision in this particular situation. And you go to this thing as well. Adults get to make their own decisions. We don't take away their agency because they happen to only be five years into adulthood. Okay? That is, you are responsible for your own actions, just like the executive is, is, is responsible for their own actions. And that is something that should be, we should be not taking away from people we should be assigning it more the idea that we are now going to remove all responsibility from people who are multiple years inside of adulthood is is demeaning i don't know if i can go this far i don't mean to be the second no i understand you're saying that when you're an adult you Mm -hmm. make decisions and you have to live by them yes but that means Mm -hmm. that means that Sean Spicer cannot blame anyone else for the Dancing with Stars. I mean, I don't. <laughs> That's there are exceptions. Okay, here. I mean, I don't me care a... how old you are. Oh. Really, are you responsible alone for that abomination? I don't think so. Yeah, you didn't even ask him about that on the podcast with Sean Spicer. I don't think he. Uh, I thought he had done. Did he do the initial no. one by then? I, don't I know think he re- so. he appeared again like last night or something. I've seen it all over the internet. It did not look like it was. Is he still in the running? People I think haven't it's a, voted him out yet. I think he came back for an additional year or additional show or what? something. What? The the Democratic version of love these Hang days on, is finishing. pretty interesting. Hang on, I'm just finishing my hashtag Me Too on Sean Spicer. Okay, okay go ahead. Good for you. Yeah, go ahead. I think like the Democrats want uh, the the result to be that you have to basically bring your tax forms to every date. And then you get to compare salaries, and if one salary is more than a thousand dollars away from the other salary, you're not allowed to date. That's just like, and you can't look at someone else who's attractive, and think of part of the attractiveness of this person can't be that they've succeeded or achieved. Okay, can I tell things, you something? Can I tell right? you something, Stu? Mm-hmm. You and I are the luckiest guys in the world. 
Mm-hmm. And if you haven't thought this, you should. Okay. When we met our wives, mm-hmm. uh, they were not our wives. No, you usually meet them first. Correct. Yeah. So we met, we, we, when we met our wives, uh, they both thought we were losers. You I less mean, so than me. You were still at the beginning of your career. It's true. Mine had flamed out and I'm, you know, I'm just a bum. I'm an alcoholic right. washed out bum. I still had the lottery ticket, although I, I had missed the numbers. I just didn't know it yet. <laughs> right. But I still had right. the ticket in my pocket. Right, you right. did. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was some hope with you, but not a <laughs> not, lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. I was okay. driving a 1988 Ford Tempo. Right. So, uh, and uh, it was, uh, it was, and I was, was in a, damaged. I was in a, in a very small Toyota, and uh, yes, that you barely fit in. You're a very large man in a very, very small, small car. Toyota. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> so we were. It's not a fancy one. It was a small, cheap. Oh, one. oh yeah. Anyway, so mm-hmm. we married these women, and I am the luckiest man in the world because my wife, everything that my wife owns that's really nice, any diamonds or anything else, mm-hmm. I purchased. She's never hinted, never mm-hmm. wanted. She honestly, I bought her a wedding ring. Uh, for our five-year anniversary, mm-hmm. and she many times will spin the diamond around because she she's embarrassed by it. What language are you speaking right now? I can't understand the things you're telling me. This, <laughs> these are real things. These, these are, are possible things. Your I don't, wife's not I, like this. No. Okay. So my <laughs> wife, my wife was not somebody that married for money or fame. She doesn't oh. like any of it. Yeah. My okay. wife didn't marry for money. She does. Uh, she does like it when it shows up. Yes. But she, uh, yes. she, but did she not didn't marry, marry for money. For no. And if you were poor, she'd be just as happy. Yeah, but don't yeah. tell me. Don't <laughs> tell me. Well, okay, not just. Look, I've looked at myself. Anybody so. who says money doesn't make a difference, okay, they're lying to you. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but neither one of them would leave us because we didn't pan out as a success. I'm constantly on the verge of failure. So <laughs> right. I should, this is exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, but you cannot tell me that there aren't those women that target men who are much more powerful than they'll ever be, much more uh, wealthy. You can't tell me that those women don't exist. So why are all guys always just preying on these young women, which they do? Mm -hmm. But what about women that also prey on men? I mean, mean, and I wouldn't even say it's prey, right? It's it's largely um, a mutually beneficial exchange. Um, I hate to describe it as you're going to the grocery store, but many times that's kind of what it's I, like. I have to tell you, it is nature. It is yeah, nature. Right. And like, you know, there is no problem with looking at someone else and finding something attractive in them that relates to their level of success or achievement or intelligence or, and those, these are the things that are rewarded with money, right? Money is a sign, generally speaking, of someone who's achieved something. Uh, someone who's been able to, uh, to to excel in their career. And you know what? What, what does that usually indicate? That they, uh, that they show up to work every day. That they're not usually on crack. Uh, that they're usually uh, someone who is at least somewhat responsible in their lives in some area, right? Um, these are things that, when you're looking for a union, are beneficial, right? Like these aren't, that's not crazy. And the same way that if you went to, if you went to a, a bar and you saw two identical women, they looked, they were identical twins and they split up and you talked to both of them and they had very similar personalities and one had some level of high achievement in their life and the other, you know, just didn't, didn't focus on that. It's not to say that you wouldn't be attracted to the person who didn't have that, that sort of uh, uh, success in their career, but it very well might 
uh, at be an additional factor. And the way the Democrats have sort of formulated relationships over the past few years is that if you happen to be a like Louis C.K., a big time comedian, and you're in the room with a woman who's a less successful comedian, you can't hook up with them because there's a power dynamic that you're supposed to resist even though they're consenting. That's just dumb. Okay, this is part of human interaction. And the fact that one person is more successful than another, then you're going to wind up bringing your IRS forms and saying, well, on line 17B, I made 38,000 and you made 42. So we're, there's a power dynamic issue here. We can't talk to each other. That, that's insanity. And we're getting to that point um, where at least when it's a Republican, uh, at least when it's someone who uh, is not uh, favored by whatever media source is talking about it, like in this case, Time Magazine, where you know these things that are blatant ethics problems in the federal government are just treated as, wow, we're learning something about millennials today. They take a lot of dudes. Like that is not what that is. No, it's not. You know that is and one. There's a, vice- a law there, right? It's not. You could learn that. Mm-hmm. You could learn that as well. As well. But you really should learn. Don't sleep with your staff if you're a congressman, and certainly don't take pictures while you're doing it. If you do, <laughs> that's another I secondary lesson so to learn. Stupid. And what's going on here? What do we hear all the time when there's an accusation of wrongdoing against a Republican? What do those re- Republicans do? They pounce on the reporters. They say the media is the is evil. They say that uh, they're the enemy of the state and all these other things. Look at the media coverage of Katie Hill today. Very little coverage on Hill herself. A lot of coverage on the red state reporter who actually got the photos and exposed the scandal. They're pouncing. They're pouncing on on, on her mm-hmm. and saying, oh, she's just a political animal. And look, she she writes for red state. She's a, a conservative. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but that... Now we're allowed to attack the media when we don't like the result of a story? I thought that was the exact thing the media was fighting against. Uh, these standards I think are, these are very media strange. And these politicians are putting the conservative media lives in jeopardy. Mm. They will have <laughs> blood on their hands. You know, as I've been doing my uh, research into what's going on in Ukraine, I have I've really started to fall in love with the history of Ukraine and the people, both the horrible things that have been done to them and they have done. Uh, it is an amazing story, a group of people that really have never been left alone to run their country as they see fit. First, it was the Soviets and the Soviets with the Holodomor just starved almost all of them to death. Uh, then the Nazis came in and took them over in World War Two, and after that, you know, the communists came back, and then we have come back. I want to tell you one story that I read about from the Ukraine that I think is amazing, and it it happened um, during the summer, and it was a summer when gunshots were were louder, and the Nazis were more severe. The Nazis were gruesome absolutely everywhere, but in Kiev, they were especially gruesome. They starved the U- Ukrainians to death, many of them, and then ground their bones up and used them as fertilizer. But by that point, the Nazis had been occupying Ukraine for a little over a year when the Russians fled the apo- approaching German army and... It was kind of a preemptive destruction. The Soviets killed any Nazi POWs. They sabotaged the farmlands. They flooded the mines. They destroyed all the important buildings. But the Nazis were quick, and they captured about 600 Soviet soldiers. 
And they set up concentration camps and assassinated anybody who was against them. By the time the Soviets retook the Ukraine a couple of years later, the Nazis had murdered 1.5 million Ukrainian Jews. Another 2 million Ukrainians were shipped to Germany, where they were forced into slave labor. In total, in Ukraine, 7 million people died. 34,000 Ukrainians died in the first two days at one of their battles in a deep ravine outside of Kiev. But the Ukrainians just never seemed to give up. They are, they're, they're tough now, and they were tough then. One of their examples of their toughness is a soccer game, of all things, that happened on August 9th in 1942. It was the Ukrainians against the Nazis, bringing the war onto the field in a game now that has been known as the death match. War was ravaging the entire continent. It was all on fire, but it's Europe, so we got to stop for a second and play some soccer, you know. So 77 years ago, on that hot August day, various nationalities formed teams. And there was the team from Hungary, Romania, and yes, the Nazis from Germany. But one team was absolutely unstoppable. And it was a group of Ukrainian bakers who had worked together at a local bread factory, some of whom had played for Dynamo Kiev, which is still a team in, uh, in Kiev in Ukraine today. Some of the Dynamo players had joined the Red Army. Some had gone to fight in the war. Several others were shipped to penal colonies for minor offenses. One of the team managers chose the Russian side, and he had been executed. But the owner of the bakery had also been on that team, and he loved soccer, and he knew the best players that still remained. So he founded the team um, and offered them extra rations. Look, I'll give you a little extra from the bakery if you'll play. They went by the name FC Start, and before long they were undefeated. And in their first game, they beat a team of Hungarian soldiers six goals to two. Few days later, it was the Romanians, eleven to zero. In June and July, they scored thirty-seven goals and only allowed eight. And with each game, the Ukrainians were getting excited. The Ukrainian, the the spirit of the Ukraine spread. They were the unstoppable rebels. Well, the Germans were nervous about this, and they wanted to keep the crowds down. So they started to charge people five rubles per ticket, which was an awful lot of money to spend on anything in those days. But people flooded. They did everything they could. They took the rubles that they had. They wanted to be there to see them because these people were impossible to beat. But they had to play, play and beat the Nazi team. And the Nazis... They liked a rig game. They, uh, they were beating even the best competitors. So on August 6th, they played a team of Nazi sh- uh, soldiers. And th- these were the guys that were manning the anti-aircraft guns all around the city of Kiev. And they, this team, the Ukrainian team, wore red jerseys that day in support of communist Russia. And the Ukrainians gave the Nazis a thrashing 5-1 to one. Nazis had barely scored one goal, conceded five. This is an embarrassing defeat. The Germans were absolutely livid, and I don't think there's anything worse than a bunch of Nazis who are pissed off. So they announced there's going to be a rematch. 
this time with a more skilled German team formed of pure blood Aryans, the very image of the master race that Hitler was looking for. And everyone warned the Ukrainians, don't play the match. And if you do play the match, lose. One of the Ukrainian players said, we don't want to lose. Before the game, the Gestapo strutted into the Ukrainians' locker room. One of them said, and I will be the referee today. And you will be giving the Nazi salute. The German made it clear. You will lose today. They laughed. You don't understand. We will win. This isn't a competition. They still didn't get the hint. 2,000 spectators paid their five rubles. One account of the stadium noticed that when the time came for the Ukrainian players to pay homage to Hitler's empire, the Ukrainian players stared forward with their arms at their side. They didn't give the Hitler salute. Armed Nazi soldiers surrounded the field watching the immaculate Gestapo soldiers guarding the entrance with snarling German shepherds all around the field. As you can imagine, when you're playing a group of Nazis, it might be a little violent. The Germans played rough. The Gestapo referee let it all happen. The Nazis kicked the Ukrainian goalkeeper in the head so hard it knocked him out cold. Eventually, his players revived him, but he was still confused, and the Nazis scored three goals. At halftime, the Ukrainian players stumbled off of the field, but they were pissed, and they wanted vengeance. This was about more than winning some game. This was about good versus evil. They were fighting for freedom. This was about taking Ukraine back, even if it was only for this instant. So they, they glided around the field when they came back like majestic birds, shoving through the tackles, dodging legs and cleats and elbows. And then they scored a goal. And then they scored another one. And then they scored a third. The game was tied. Now the team had to decide. Should we just guard our goal and make it a tie? Because maybe a tie would be enough of a victory. Maybe a win would be too dangerous. Then they scored their fourth goal. The Nazis went crazy. They doubled down even more violent. Then the Ukrainians scored another one. In the last moments of the game, the Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainians outrun a group of exhausted Nazi players. He kicked the ball to the goal, sending the goalkeeper lunging in the wrong direction. And then he kicked the ball away from the goal in one last act of spite. It was 5-3. The Ukrainians had won. Now it gets a little dicey because we're not really sure what happened. Some say that that night they partied, they celebrated their victory, they had homemade vodka, they were dancing. And the next day the Gestapo was waiting for the men at the bakery. They were all arrested. For eight weeks, Nazis tortured the men. The accounts differ. But most likely several of the men were shot. One we know was tortured to death, broken and limping, the rest of them were shoved into the back of a transport truck and taken to a concentration camp just on the outskirts of town. While they were there, three more of them were executed. Their bodies were tossed into mass graves. 
But the came became a rallying cry for the Ukrainians. It was a story of hope that they dare not tell louder than a whisper. In some tellings, the Nazis executed all the men right after, but we know that's not true because some of the players actually talked about it years later. One historian says none of this actually happened. But as Vonnegut writes, all this happened, more or less. After World War II, things weren't much easier on the Ukrainians because the Soviets recast the story of the death match into communist propaganda. Eleven heroic communists fighting together to beat the capitalist monsters. They also accused several players of collaborating with the Nazis and sentenced those players to ten years in a communist gulag. For the people afflicted by Soviet rule, the story became a household tale. It was the way for the Ukrainians to celebrate their own independent identity. All the way up to today, Ukraine finds itself in the throes of a social-political war for their very survival. There was a war that was just started in February of 2014. Nearly 5,000 Ukrainians have died. The events of that day in Kiev 77 years ago remain shrouded in mystery. But the spirit of the players live on and live in the hearts of all those in Ukraine who are still dreaming of the day when they control their own destiny. Welcome to the program. There's a couple of pieces of audio here that we cannot leave uh, until we play. And one of them is the very eloquent Al Sharpton (laughs) trying very, very, I mean, he's really working hard here uh, to um, tell you the story of the death of al-Baghdadi. Here he is. President Trump said that because of the killing of al-Baghdadi, Baghdadi, that the world is a better place. And I would give credit to he and those that were responsible for it. Uh But we have a lot of work that must still be done in the area of terrorism. Right. In the same area of the world where al-Baghdadi was. (laughs) Come on, that was worth it. There are just, oh, you know, like, that's worth getting up in the day to hear. The man can't speak, Glenn. Mm. This is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of no, job. I have like, a problem with uh, the English language. You do, too. That's yeah. true. We all do. But not but quite not like, like that. Him. Yeah, he has this sort of like, you know how if you have like a, a shelf that is loaded with trinkets mm. and someone bumps into it and like one of them falls down and then another one falls down, mm. another one falls down. That's his like his like pace of speaking like, it's just like there's like they're just inexplicably coming down to this odd it's like, i don't blah say bag dab play, play it again one Where? more time play it one more time what? president what? trump said that because he's gonna bump of into the, the killing of right. al baghdadi baghdadi that the world is a better place and, and I would I give would credit to him and those that and were responsible for it. But we have a lot of work that must right, like still be right, done. Uh, in why the are you area pausing on work? Right. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do with terror. We have a lot of work 
to do with Baghdad. Because in the prompter, his eyes are looking down and he sees Baghdad. He's like, oh no, here it comes again. It's revenge of all those G's and H's. <laughs> They're all coming. All right. Uh, uh, how about Katie Hill? Can we hear the Katie Hill? Yes, audience? here's Katie. Here's Katie Hill. Republican Party is overwhelmingly held by old white men, mm-hmm. and that is that is not good. until that changes. Then the Republican Party is is literally incapable of changing. When you see reactions like Lindsey Graham's or mm-hmm. some of the other senators, right. you can't help but wonder what are you afraid of? Oh. What's in your past? Oh, so. that's a good question, Very Katie. Good. Katie, may I? You've heard mm. the you know he who has a glass house shouldn't throw stones. May I just uh, update that for uh, this occasion? Um, those that have glass bongs <laughs> should not be throwing stones. I, I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying. Do we have time for Dave Chappelle? Uh, Chappelle was talking about political correctness on the, uh, the red carpet. Political correctness has its face, its place. Excuse me. We all want to live in a I'll polite society. We just have to kind of work on the levels and come to an agreement of what that actually looks like. I personally am not afraid of other people's freedom of expression. I don't use it as a weapon. It just makes me feel better. And I'm sorry if I hurt anybody, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. Everything I'm supposed to say. <laughs> he was accepting the award for the Mark Twain Prize. Mm. Uh, it, you know, at the Kennedy Center, they do it every year. And here's this guy who everybody's saying, "Oh no, he's just he's great." He just won the National Award for Comedy Writing, the Mark Twain Prize. Uh, I don't know. Seems to be doing pretty good. A lot better than Al Bagdadby. Al Blagdadby. Blagdadby. Snag Blagdly. I grabbed a baggie. You're listening to Glenn.